0: Welcome to Unrequited Lovecraft, a queer Lovecraft retrospective. I'm Jay.
1: Do you want to do pronouns?
0: Yeah, I guess we can do that first. Uh, I go by they, them.
1: Um, And I am currently nameless. I am a queer person of color, and I use they, them as well. We're here to talk about the works of H.P. Lovecraft from a queer, feminist, racially aware, and intersectional kind of perspective. Um, He was a weird fiction author from the early 1900s. Um, Weird fiction is... Fiction that's somewhere between science fiction, fantasy, and
0: horror. Our plan with this is we're going to be going through the Lovecraft canon in a chronological order. And uh, we're going to tackle, at least at first, one story every episode. The bigger stuff that comes a little bit later, we're going to split up into parts as needed.
1: And then for each episode, we'll give a summary of what happens in the story, and then we will promptly tear it apart.
0: We're going to be focusing mostly on the actual stories themselves. We'll bring up Lovecraft's life when it's directly relevant, but that's not really going to be the focus of this specific podcast. If you're looking for something with more of, like, biographical information, we would suggest the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast with Chris Lackey and Chad Pfeiffer. They're kind of the titans of the Weird Fiction Lovecraft podcast scene and have already done every story and have moved on to just Weird Fiction in general.
1: And we've been listening to them since we were in high school.
0: It's definitely like the big inspiration here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But for this episode zero, we're just going to be introducing ourselves and where we're coming from. We are both trans and very early in our transition, and so everything from like, names to voices to pronouns might change over the course of this podcast. We'll, you know, you can go to our Twitters or whatever, and, like, that'll that'll have the most up-to-date information. But, like, this is just sort of a snapshot of where we're starting from.
1: Okay, so, um, brief introduction. I am a librarian. I, uh, I am queer. I am trans. I am mixed race. I'm trying to think of how I started with Lovecraft. Probably. Evil Dead, but I guess the first thing I recognized as being from Lovecraft was actually um Reanimator. and then I think the first Lovecraft story I actually read was Dagon.
0: I am a film studies dropout and currently work at a call center and get yelled at all day, so that's fun. Um, my first Lovecraft stuff was probably Evil Dead um, but that's sort of tangential, and you don't really know that that's Lovecraft unless you know it's Lovecraft. Um, you know what? I think actually, what might have been the first thing that made me look into Lovecraft, and this is going to be the worst early two thousands thing that has ever happened. Go on. Uh, there is a reference to the rats in the walls in Johnny the Homicidal Maniac by oh, Joan God. and Vasquez, uh, where one of the characters says. I think there's rats in the walls, and the other person says, "That's oh, too you? <laughs> no, no, because it's Joan and Vasquez, so of course it has to be so- it has to be this joke, which is that's too big for rats. I think it's moose in the walls. Great. And so then I think at that point it was like a TV tropes page that led me into oh yeah this thing I guess I've I've like I'm sure I heard of Cthulhu before that, right. but like never really just figured. Cthulhu and the Necronomicon were, like, modern things, but that were drawing on something older. Exactly. And it was just like, oh, yeah, there's probably some weird squid god in the past that, like, loosely translated to Cthulhu, whatever. Right. and like, Yeah. And, like, Necronomicon was like, yeah, that's, there's the Bhagavad Gita, and then there's the Necronomicon, and then there's, like... The early biblical works that aren't canon anymore, right? And it figured it the was ones just like, by women. yeah, it was just somewhere in there, and it wasn't directly tied to Lovecraft because his influence is sort of just like seeped out in such a way where a lot of the times you don't even recognize that it's his shit.
1: Exactly. You mentioned TV tropes, and that's like a perfect example because we both mentioned um, Evil Dead. That's not a Lovecraft story. She's like, oh yeah, no, this is the Necronomicon. It's like, okay, right, so. Roughly drawing from Lovecraft's work. Um, but H.P. Lovecraft wasn't the first weird fiction author or the last. You know, it's not even his writing isn't even the best. But he's one of the biggest names and he has a, a very large um, bibliography. He has like this massive universe. Not only has he encouraged people to write works that involve that universe, but reference after reference after reference. It's one of those things that sort of changed culture. Like, it's hard to imagine what science fiction fantasy would even be like before Lovecraft.
0: Why would we do this podcast when...
1: When there are thousands and thousands of other racist writers that we could talk about instead?
0: I was gonna say when we could look at, you know, like, people of color's work. That existed at the time.
1: Exactly, and, and we're going to do that, too. We are absolutely going to do that, too.
0: But first...
1: But first, we, we have to start here.
0: I would definitely describe Lovecraft as my favorite author.
1: I am afraid of ever calling somebody my favorite author.
0: Right. It's definitely... It's the author I've read the most of. Like, I have my my big compendium of, like, every Lovecraft story. Like, the entire works that sits on my desk, and I have read through multiple times right
1: like at least he's dead and we know he was an asshole you know like right like i'm afraid oh yeah this is my favorite author and then thinking they're safe and then it turns out that they were like super racist or uh, a rapist or something you know like no i want i want somebody kind to hold that honor of being my favorite author and lovecraft <laughs> is not that person Th-
0: that's fair it's definitely has the same kind of caveats as like any kind of progressive person who's like, Cormac McCarthy is my favorite author, big asterisk. Right. Like, no, it's, Blood Meridian's really good, but oh, also fuck that guy.
1: Yeah, like the people who say their favorite book is Blood Meridian, I, I'm sort of like, oh, first, you know, like, oh, in what way though? Like, Greg Proofs is okay. You know, Um, I had a coworker whose favorite book was Blood Meridian and she was cool. Then it's like okay, well, are you approaching it from like the cool sort of way, or are you a are you a fight clubber? You know, like yeah, it, Fight
0: Club is another good example that right. where if somebody says Fight Club is their favorite film, it's like, are you are you talking about because of its examination of toxic masculinity and right. like the homosexual subtext of the main character?
1: Chuck Palahniuk actually wrote a book recently about um, he was writing about white supremacists, and he actually just like he's a gay man, and he is I, th- I think he's maybe married to a man, but he um did all this sort of like on site research with all these uh gang members and everything. Uh people asked him, like, how did they let you like into their space, gay man? And he was like, Oh, I told them I wrote Fight Club. And that was enough.
0: That That's was enough. Amazing. Isn't that great? That's like, great. He was like
1: he called him up, Oh, I wrote Fight Club. Let me in on your little boys' club, you know? I think it's great. Speaking of the HP Lovecraft literary podcast With Chris Lackey and Chad Viper, Recently they had Patton Oswalt on there A couple times And in one of them Patton was talking about Oh no, the the cool people need To claim Lovecraft before the the white supremacists do Which they haven't yet Which is odd Do you know who has though? Caitlin R. Kiernan you know?
0: Yeah, I think it, it, he when he had said it, he was just like, we need to make sure they don't get this fucking stories because if the Nazis get a hold of Lovecraft, all bets are off. We just have to absolve ourselves of it and just distance at all costs.
1: Exactly. So he's ours now.
0: Yep. That's our contribution to yep. the discourse.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, do we want to do a brief Lovecraft bio? Uh,
0: Sure. So H.P. Lovecraft was uh, a weird fiction author in the early 20th century. He was born in 1890, and lived for most of his life in Providence, Rhode Island, and the times where he wasn't living in Providence, Rhode Island-
1: He hated it!
0: He was very upset to do it. Generally, whenever he's in Providence is when his best work tends to happen, and generally when he's living, like, in New York is when he's very upset, and that racism- oh, shit, That that's when we get, like, horror at Red Hook, and Medusa's right. Coil, and, like, all of the- just the unfiltered raw demon potato bug id
1: exactly his father died when he was around eight years old um after his father died he was really close with um his pop pop whipple did he actually call him pop pop nope i added that in for effect.
0: oh but his
1: first name was whipple whipple is really good okay um he was a lovecraft so who knows um, and then Whipple died when Lovecraft was 14. At this point, Lovecraft was left with his mother and his aunt. He was mostly raised by his aunts, and his aunts had a huge um, influence on his life, but he lived with his mother and his unmarried aunt um, until his mother died when he was in his early 30s. I believe he was 31. And then after that, he soon married Sonia Green. They moved to New York where she could solely support him.
0: She was also a writer. I think she was and... also a milliner.
1: I think she owned a hat shop. Really? I think, I think she did. Like, I think she was like a fashion designer or something. I think she was like a milliner. She was like, she had to move to New York to support Lovecraft. Like whatever she was doing, she couldn't do um, in Providence. And I think she was a milliner.
0: But she also wrote her own stuff. And I will, we'll we'll tackle a few of those stories because um, Lovecraft did contribute in some way. Um, uh, I think Horror at St. Martin's Beach is one.
1: Yeah, I believe um, so.
0: Well. There's like one or two other ones. I don't know. Well, on the website there is like a full list of of all the stuff that we're going to like tackle and with dates and stuff as they approach and stuff.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um so they moved to New York, so she could mother him and take care of him. But whatever. And he hated it. And then they ended up splitting. They'd never officially divorced, even though she later remarried. Um, And he moved back to Providence, and then he ended up dying of cancer in 1937. Um, And he was 46 years old.
0: At the end there, it was almost like, the way it's described a lot of the time is self-inflicted cancer. Because at the end of his life, he would like write to people and be so proud of the fact where he was like, I can eat for an entire day off two cents where he was eating like a can of discount beans and eventually just got stomach cancer. Yeah. and
1: Um, Well, he was actually also really into science when he was younger. And when he was dying, he was scientifically documenting.
0: He was Brundle flying.
1: He was Brundle flying. Yeah. I
0: I, didn't uh, know that.
1: Yeah. I I read that really recently. I was like, Ooh, I wonder if I can find that. I don't know if it was in letters or if it was more in, like, a diary, though.
0: Real quick, his diet was very poor. I'm not suggesting that discount beans cause stomach cancer.
1: <laughs> it was intestines.
0: Intestines. But Close. Yes. I'm, 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 I'm a few inches of meat away.
1: Yeah. Lovecraft, like we said, was a giant, giant racist and a misogynist and an all-around shithead. Despite doing this podcast, we're not ignoring it. And we're not making excuses for it, but part of why we're doing this is so we can sort of engage with it in a way that's meaningful. Because we are not your, I almost said, standard cis-straight white men, so we come to Lovecraft from different perspectives.
0: It's also going to be fun because, like, sometimes the stories is just a giant monster shows up, and that's cool.
1: Yeah, but sometimes that monster is a black man. Sometimes. Or miscegenation.
0: Sometimes there's zero women that happened. Uh, over the course of his canon, we get, like, what, like, five named women?
1: I'm gonna say three, and one was really just a man possessing a, the body of a woman.
0: One is the man possessing of a body of a woman. One is, a spoiler uh, alert. Spoiler, <laughs> alert. Uh, spoiler alert for a hundred-year-old story. Stop. Um, <laughs> another one is a Medusa. Um, and that's not the scary part. <laughs> no, <Nope. laughs> go go to that episode. It'll be that's gonna be that's gonna be a short story. I'm gonna call it right now. That's probably gonna be a multi-parter, despite its length. Yeah. Um, because oh boy, I have feelings. Yeah, I have feelings about Medusa's coil. Um,
1: more feelings than me.
0: Nope. Okay. <laughs>
1: name came from the idea that however much we love lovecraft's work that love is very much one-sided and we actually later found out that daniel jose older said something very similar in a letter to the guardian much more poignant though um he actually sent this email after he successfully petitioned to change the award for the world fantasy award from a bust of hp lovecraft to a new design um it's a tree. it's super cute it's like, a, it's
0: like a gothic tree with like a moon behind it or something. It's yeah. really cute looking.
1: Yeah. I'm gonna win it. So Cold shots. <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> okay. In the email, Older says, If fantasy as a genre truly wants to embrace all of its fans, and I believe it does, we can't keep lionizing a man who used literature as a weapon against entire races. Writers of color have always had to struggle with the question of how to love a genre that seems so intent on proving it doesn't love us back that sort of completely fits in with the whole unrequited Lovecraft deal. And I only found this quote, I think, a couple of weeks after I decided that, no, unrequited Lovecraft is ours. So I thought that was amusing.
0: Yeah, and that extends out to uh, queer representation as well. Lovecraft didn't so much hate queer people as he they were just sort of invisible to him. because
1: Unknowable, unfathomable
0: exactly he had no idea what homosexuality was or that gay people existed or that that's a thing that can happen until like his 30s he was mostly fine with it as like a concept he was just sort of like he thought it was decadent and probably not the best for society but he was like ah i love me the greeks and like i guess they they have some of that stuff in them so like Whatever. And that was about the most he ever talked about it.
1: Yeah. In, um, Podcraft, uh, the H.P. Lovecraft literary podcast, um, they essentially just sort of decided, nah, Lovecraft's gay. Like, they're just like, eh, it sort of comes together the way he handles a lot of things. And, And it does, especially when it comes to how he portrays women. You know, I hate how when people talk about Lovecraft and women, they always, you know, Harken back to his mother, but it's not a relationship with his mother that has ruined his entire relationship with women. It was just sort of an alienation from women, just in general. Lovecraft was also friends with, um, I believe his name was Samuel Loveman. Mm -hmm. Is that his name? Who was a gay man. Like, they were super besties, and Samuel Loveman was a gay man. I don't know. Apparently, he was just Lovecraft's little invisible friend because he couldn't recognize the gay. What if? What if?
0: What if Lovecraft didn't see him?
1: like
0: that doesn't make sense i was gonna i was i was about to do a riff where lovecraft because he couldn't conceptualize gay people that his friend was literally invisible and it was his imaginary friend maybe but like that doesn't extend to other people yeah and i kind of lost the there's a joke <laughs> in there where he thinks he's an imaginary friend and he's like oh everyone's just humoring me
1: you know what we we have the setup yeah, let's set that up. You know, that's, that sometimes that's enough for a joke. Uh, do we want to talk about his writing or anything like that?
0: I mean, that's sort of the point of the show, isn't it?
1: I mean, right now. Um, because in general, like, his writing sort of has to do with large, unknowable, unspeakable horrors, larger than human comprehension. I
0: thought we were going to talk about the um the color in which the prose oh, were to happen. the purple. The perp.
1: It's bad. It's mm, Here's It's a choice. It is a choice when people talk about what bad writing is. It is very much it was a cold and stormy night. It yeah. is bad writing. But it's evocative writing and that's enough for me. It's it's bad writing that I love.
0: There's one that um they actually used it in that in that Lovecraft documentary where they talk about the uh the squamous moon and it was like <laughs> it, he goes on for like three sentences and it's just like the big waning moon. Or like the moon. Yeah.
1: And at one point, he says the sky void to describe the sky. I love
0: the sky void. As I, do I. Yes. But
1: sky is really ugly. Bad writing, but
0: it's, it's evocative. It's ugly, and I love it.
1: Like, you're right. That sky is a very sky void. <laughs> Not much more there outside of sky. I describe the sky as sky-like.
0: But what was your, what was your original point about the actual, like, monsters?
1: Well, just that the monsters are... It's hard to call them monsters because they're not necessarily monster stories. They, they're not framed or the, the narrative structure is, does not follow the story of a monster story. But things are monstrous. You know, you have your otherworldly beings, you know, but they're large. And it's not so much that the otherworldly beings are scary. It is the implication that such a thing could exist.
0: Exactly. Is scary. There was a Reddit post going around a while back where it was, somebody did a a size comparison of various Lovecraft monsters, Mm -hmm. and while I would take issue with some of the sizes they prescribe, I think they clock Azathoth at like a thousand feet, I'm pretty sure they describe him as like a star. Like, no, it's bigger than that. But, but
1: it's hard with that purple purple prose, but how much is metaphor and how much is an actual measurement?
0: Absolutely. And we could quibble about sizes all day and like exact measurements. A lot of people got upset about the implication of the the post that this person did. Just the fact
1: that they were measurable
0: exactly they were they were like you can't measure these things because they're so vast and whatever
1: but the thing is is like they're upset that oh you can measure it lovecraft made these creatures not so big that they can't be measured but so big that they can't be understood there is a difference between physically measuring and being able to comprehend the size i i walk downtown and i look up and i'm like oh I have no idea how tall that building is. It doesn't mean that that building does not have a definitive size.
0: Exactly. Or just the fact that, you know, Cthulhu's real big. And, like, when he shows up on the scene, everybody that's there gets real, real scared. But it's not until he actually pops and it's revealed, like, oh, he's not made of the same matter as as Earthly Things that everybody starts to go insane because... It's the implication and, and trying to conceptualize what Cthulhu means, not what right. he is. Exactly. exactly. That's the issue. What else? Um, I don't know. Did you, did you want to call it there, or did you did you have I, more that you wanted to talk about?
1: I think that's mostly what I wanted to talk about. Um, I think we covered.
0: It. I think we. That's good enough at this point. We're just sort of getting into like different
1: stories yeah at this point we're just sort of
0: getting into like the the sort of the sort of tone of his work and we can do that in the actual episode one
1: and he he comes into that though like it's something that definitely develops over time the first story we're going to be looking at is uh, the the tomb tomb. yeah Yeah. the the first one we're looking at is the tomb Um, i do not have a year for that currently um it's like a 17 something that's that's what
0: 17 something
1: like That'd a 19, be a trick. Like a 1917 something.
0: That's better. I mean, when you it, said 17, I thought those were the first two numbers.
1: Okay, it was published in 1922. Okay. But it was written in June 1917. Bam! We will talk about his poetry, though, as we come to it. Um, mm-hmm. I have some opinions about those as well.
0: We should probably make mention of his scholarly work, too.
1: We'll totally do that as we, as we record, yeah.
0: Right, right, but we should mention that we're going to do that. We are. So, yeah, we're... Mentioned. We're going to do that. <laughs> he wrote a, a, a essay called Supernatural Horror in Literature. It's
1: not that long. Uh,
0: Well... It's a book. Here's the thing. It's not that it's necessarily the longest thing, but he revised it like 30 times. That's hyperbole. A lot of my years and stuff that I'm using... I'm not looking at any notes in this. So, a lot of my years and guesses of numbers... Are probably off, yeah. But he revised that thing a lot, and so if you read all of the different revisions and stuff that he's added and subtracted over the years, right, it gets up there, and we'll be picking and pulling from that as we go on.
1: Yeah, I used that a lot when I was working on my independent study, um,
0: Ooh. This
1: is for my first degree in reading. Ooh, <laughs>
0: your multiple fancy degrees about
1: queer theory and Lovecraft Country, um, but yeah really really good book it's really interesting and i like the way he sort of um frames his, the the genre he chooses to write in it's really good uh,
0: i i'll i'll probably edit this out but maybe not um but one fun detail that i do love from the supernatural horror and literature mm-hmm. is that sometimes he can be a bit literalist about it yeah he talks about like the yellow wallpaper and he completely negates any kind of Proto-feminist investigation of the actual Source material, of the actual story
1: Because he can't identify with women
0: Exactly, and so he's just like Yeah, there's a ghost We're in a room where a mad woman Was kept, it's
1: so the obnoxious. end it is so Two obnoxious. sentences, done I can't handle it, it's, it's offensive Okay, I'm saying offensive, that's not what I mean I mean it's annoying And irritating and tiring
0: Exactly, there's joy to be had In a schadenfreude Kind of way Yeah it's the same thing with like um Medusa's coil. Like, it's a terrible story, but like if you come into it knowing what's up and how horrible it is.
1: It's one of those things where you're just sort of like, oh you silly fuck.
0: It's like a bad aristocrat's joke. Yeah. In that it's just terrible but
1: It's a trauma movie.
0: It, that's a very good way to put it, yeah. Yeah. Or Titus um,
1: Andronicus.
0: I will take your word on that one.
1: It's my favorite Shakespeare play. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's
0: I thought we were referencing the movie.
1: I still haven't seen the movie. I really want Troma to do a Titus Andronicus movie, though.
0: That would be good. You need to see the one, the actual Titus Andronicus movie, because that's the only thing I've seen, and you okay, would, you uh, would like it. I
1: think you should read the play because I don't, I've never seen the movie, but I can promise you that the play is better because it's so gory. And yeah. Shakespeare scholars are like, oh, he didn't write that one. Like they are appalled, and they don't even include it when they talk about Shakespeare's plays. I love it.
0: So we decided to record this outro bit uh, a few days after the initial recording, and in going back to edit it, that's a weird place that we ended that. Yeah, it was a choice. So for our first episode, we're going to be discussing the tomb. Until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Queer underscore Cryptids or at Unlovecraft and visit our website, QueerCryptids.com.
1: I think you can make a couple cuts and make that work.